Hi, my name's Tara Humphrey and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast, where I will be sharing interviews and insights from the field of healthcare. The Business of Healthcare podcast is brought to you by THC Primary Care, where we provide operations and project management to primary care networks. If you are a clinical lead or a practice manager and your primary care network to-do list is growing by the minute and you could do with an extra pair of hands to deliver some of your projects and network-based services, I would absolutely love to help you. So come and check us out at www.thcprimarycare.co.uk. Now let's jump into this week's episode. Hi and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I have got another, I would class this as a leadership masterclass. This episode features Rachel Crook. She is the co-founder of a company called Lifted who provide carers and a tech platform to support care at home. And I've really thought about how do I introduce this session. So I'm going to speak quite quickly because I want you to jump into it because it is a long one. It is worth every listen. These are my highlights from the session. And these are all kind of Rachel Crook's key takeaways. In this podcast, we talk about why it's important to find people with complementary skills. She talks about recognising the age of your organisation and what you can and can't do. She talks about how she has empowered others to step in and step up. She talks about how she invests in her personal development. She got feedback and acted on the importance of pushing but not pushing too hard she seeks honest feedback and she acts on it we talk about how she trusts her team to do their best work how she's learned to do that especially during covid um, she talks about being honest about her challenges she talks about the juggle and challenge of balancing recruitment versus client needs she talks about the importance of needing a mission to power you through especially the tough times and we talk about how tech can transform social care And we kind of sum up talking about passion, values and using our advantages to help others. Loved it, loved it, loved it. You will love this. And if you like this sort of episode, I would encourage you to listen to episode 50, where we interview Dr. Anna Snadir from Patchwork. And I think they're just amazing. They're just amazing leaders, really thought provoking Listen, you're going to need to listen to this episode more than once and really, really soak it in. It's, I just, I geek out on this stuff. I love it. Enjoy. And after you've listened to the episode, come over to social media and let us know what you think about it. And it would be great if you could leave us a five star iTunes rating and review. And I'll see you in the next episode. Hi, Rachel. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Business of Healthcare podcast. How are you doing? No problem. Thanks so much for having me, Tara. I'm really well, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Okay, so what would be really helpful is if you could give us a little bit of background into your company Lifted and let us know what led you to starting it. Absolutely. So um, Lifted is a tech-enabled home care company. We look after older and vulnerable people at home. So our vision at Lifted is to make sure that no one cares alone. 
And we want to use technology to enhance the quality of care that people get, improve transparency for families and improve working conditions for carers. And so the platform that we've built to do that has three apps. There's an app for family members that gives them updates before and after every visit. They can see all the visit notes and leave reviews for our carers. They can also read information about each carer before they arrive. Then there's an app for carers that gives them access to all the information about each client before and after every visit. And there's an app for us, which allows us to operationally improve quality. So, for example, if a carer doesn't check into their appointment, it sends an alert to let us know. If a client leaves a review of less than three stars, it sends us an alert to let us know. And if a client doesn't take their medication, for example, it lets us know. But that's just the beginning of the system. Longer term, our system will be able to collect a lot of health data that we'll be able to share with NHS colleagues. We already collect a set of simple health data, but we want to go a lot further. Um, And our app, families can use even before they need care. So in October, we'll release new features, which mean that families will be able to get personalised guidance about the care that they need. And so we'd say to any colleagues in the NHS who meet families who think they might need care, then they can download our app at Lifted Care from the App Store, from the Play Store to give families that information. And the reason that I co-founded Lifted um, is based on personal experience. So I was 24 and I was finishing a master's at university. And my mum was diagnosed with early onset dementia and she was 56 at the time. And so it was a bit of a shock, as you can imagine. I was looking after somebody with dementia much younger than I would expect to be. And I really felt, although the people that we brought in to look after my mum were really kind and caring people, it seemed to me that there was a huge gap in the care sector for a company that could really think about how to connect families and carers better to give more transparency over people's care. So particularly with my mum, I felt frustrated about three things. I felt frustrated that it was so hard to understand what was happening when I wasn't there. I was living in Oxford and she was living in Edinburgh and the carers would come every week. They'd write their notes, sorry, every day, pardon. they'd write their notes in a file. That file would sit on the table in Edinburgh and no one would really read it. And by the time I got back there, it was too late to be useful. So that was the first thing I found frustrating. The second thing I found is that the carers themselves, although they were, as I said, good people and I'll always be grateful to them, it felt like they were really undertrained and undersupported and frankly underpaid for the work they were doing. And the third thing that I thought was really missing is that carers were seeing really valuable data in my mum. They were observing things about her that no one was capturing and using to really understand how her illness was developing and maybe see if there were things we could do about it. And so I put those three things together and about 15 months ago and I met some other people and we got lifted off the ground. Um, and that, that's, that's how we got started really. And, and so far it's been, it's been growing pretty quickly. So we started with a couple of people in a dream um, and now we've got, 50 people that work for us um, and we've raised three million pounds in investment. I'm really proud that we've only got five star reviews from the people that we're looking after. So it's been a, a, a pretty amazing journey so far and I'm really excited about what more we can do to really help give families back a little bit of the loved one that they're losing when they have a long term health condition using technology. It's amazing your growth in such a short space of time. What did you do before Lifted? Um, so I finished my master's, I did a, did a master's in international relations at Oxford, and then I went to work for the British government. Um, and I was really lucky, I worked on lots of really interesting policy areas. I led some work to combat violence against women, which I really enjoyed. Um, I led work around changing the narrative about young Muslims in the UK, because I was working there at the time that ISIS was gaining traction and we were trying to change the way that young people were thinking about their opportunities, which was really interesting. 
Um, and then I went to work for a bit of government called the Prime Minister's Implementation Unit, which is a team of civil servants that advise the Prime Minister on whether or not we're on track to deliver what the government said they want to deliver. So we look at the manifesto, we look at the things government promised to do, and we try to advise on whether or not they're going to achieve them, and if not, why not? One of the things I was advising on were the ways in which challenges in social care were contributing to challenges in the NHS, particularly around delayed transfers of care. So that was really interesting, and it became clear to me then that there was this real gap between primary and secondary care that needed to be bridged, and particularly between community care and, and, um, and, and hospital care. And then I left government and I went to work as a consultant. I was um, a strategy consultant for um, McKinsey Company and I worked there helping clients with lots of different issues. And one of the things that I worked on there was a big review of female entrepreneurship. And what McKinsey gave me was an understanding of commercial acumen that I combined with my deep passion for social impact. And I put those two things together and those kind of two sides of the coin are what allowed me, I think, to have the skills to, to make that business into a reality. That's amazing. When we first spoke, um, we talked about I suppose, the business of social care and you shared with me that uh, the cost of social care can cost more than a mortgage. And I, I was so surprised and I suppose I haven't really thought about it. And with that in mind, given that care can be so expensive, who is your service targeted at? Yeah, so you're, so you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I did the maths on, um, on a back of a piece of paper, I looked up the average mortgage that people pay a month um, and I compared it to the cost of care and I concluded that the average cost of home care for someone who's privately paying is about one and a half times the average cost of a mortgage a month. Um, and for my family looking after my mum, it was four times the cost of their mortgage because she needed constant care. So it really is a huge financial outlay for people and given how important it is both emotionally because you're trusting someone to look after the people that you love most in the world when they can't look after themselves and financially it just seems to me that the speed of innovation in the care sector kind of need, had, a, had a way to go to pick up with that in terms of who our customer is we charge 20 pounds an hour for hourly care and we um, and we charge from about 1100 a week for living care and that puts us kind of mid-market not super expensive not not particularly cheap and the reason we price like that is because we're really committed to treating our carers with the same care that we treat our clients. So we're proud to pay the London living wage to our hourly carers. Um, and you might be aware there are 10,000 home care companies in the country, but only 2% of them are registered with the Living Wage Foundation. So we're really proud to be one of them. Our, our customer typically we tend to see is it's usually the adult daughter of the person that we're looking after is the person who's most involved with their care. Sometimes it's the son, but it does tend to be the daughter. Um, and that person's usually pretty stressed because they've often got children that they're looking after, adult children and their loved ones that need care at the same time. And we endeavour to walk with that person and support them in the challenges they're facing and give them the support that they need to have amazing care for their loved ones and feel really confident about bringing someone in to help them. So that's who we tend to work with on one side. The other group of people that we've tended to support are young people with long term health conditions and typically they're arranging care for themselves. So typically those people are getting direct payments from the council to pay for their care and they choose to come to us because we have an app that allows them to have transparency over their care. So they get notifications when carers come and when they leave, they can leave instant reviews for each individual carer um, and they can see all their health notes and a set of data about how they're feeling after each visit. 
And we find that for those people, it really adds a sense of control back in their lives that sometimes can feel like it's seeing if you're living with a long-term health condition. So those tend to be the two sets of people. But we'll work with anyone over the age of 18 that we can support. So we think a lot at Lifted about how do we support people even when we're not caring for them directly. We have an ambition to get a million people on our platform in the next five years. And that's people who are caring for loved ones in the broadest sense. So even if they're not receiving professional care. And there's a few ways that we do that. So one is that we have a Facebook group called Caring for Loved Ones that anyone can join and gives advice and guidance and a sense of community for carers, which we think is so important. The second one is that we have a group of people who want to be a bit more involved called Lifted Ambassadors, which are people who are passionate about what we're doing at Lifted and want to help us make a change in the care sector. And we're getting that group together and galvanizing them. And if you're interested in being a Lifted Ambassador, then just drop me an email. Um, And the third way that we can do that is through our app. So anyone can download our app from the App Store and it will give them access to advice and guidance about care specific to them within the next month. So when you found that you well, when you first had experience, there was a gap and a need. What was the first thing you did to be able to start this business? So. I didn't start Lifted by myself at all. So there were three guys who um, run a building company called Zero One and they had already started developing some technology and they had registered a company. And I met them while I was a consultant and they said, we're thinking of launching this business. We're looking for someone to come in and run it and take it over and become the co-founder. So it very much was not something that I kind of sat down by myself and thought of. I'd had lots of ideas and inklings and then I worked with them to get it off the ground. And I think it's interesting, I sometimes think, you know, should I have done it all by myself? But I actually think that a lot of businesses, when you really kind of look behind the scenes, have got started in unorthodox ways. And actually working with other people to get an idea off the ground, I think is really important. So I guess the first thing I would say is try and find other people that share your passion and share your mission, but bring complementary skills um, so that the things that are so great at other people can be good at and the things that I'm great at, I can help them with the things that they struggle with. So I think that's one of the first steps that I would say is important. Um, the next step for us was, was getting funding. So we were able to find a company that was, gave us some support to get it off the ground. Um, and also we got registered with the CQC and kind of got that all started. And then, and then we just started. We um, put some ads up online um, and started working with a few families um, and started supporting them. And at the beginning, you're doing everything yourself. We also found an expert in social care that would help give us some of the expertise that we needed. And then those two things together, powered by the really strong mission that I had to doing things in an ethical and transparent way, I think set us up on the right tranche for success. So where you mentioned um, you, um, your organisation pays the London living wage, where did you start in regards to recruitment and what is your approach to recruitment and equality and diversity? Um, so let me take that, that in, two, in two bits. So in terms of our approach to recruitment, we have a set of values that we've developed based on feedback from families about what matters to them and also my experience about what matters to me. And we look for those values in the people that we interview. We advertise online and then we speak to people on the phone. If they get through that kind of initial screening, then we'll interview them properly. If they get through that, we'll invite them to training. We train them in person. And training has a pass or fail rate, so you have to be able to demonstrate that you can exhibit the behaviours and the skills that we need. And um, then we'll do a shadowing process and then we'll, and obviously all the background checks and criminal record checks and everything else and references, and then we'll start you. Our commitment to diversity and inclusion is extremely strong. In London, I'm, I'm not sure if you know this, Sarah, you, you might already, that 51% of care workers in London are, are black women. 
and so therefore we are very aware that we are operating in a sector in which racial justice has to be key part of what we're doing and we predominantly do recruit women we find that that, that family members often ask for female carers we do recruit men as well but care work does tend to skew heavily female um, and in terms of our commitment to diversity I try to talk a lot about living up to our values treating people with respect um, and I try to also be open and speak to people about issues that are happening so for example the killing of George Floyd I sent an email to everyone in the organization very early on and said you know we absolutely stand against this and we're here if you want to talk about racial injustice and we're here and we want to live up to our values of making people feel like this is a place where they belong um, and if we ever don't do that, you need to come and tell us. And we do a lot, I do a lot of work to meet all the carers that join our company and thank them for choosing us and exhibiting our commitment to living up to our values and making clear that we're a new company and we're learning and they need to help us learn and they need to tell us if they feel like we're doing things that aren't helping them to participate. So that's how we do it. And then we celebrate success a lot. So we have digital mechanisms celebrating success. So we send out updates to thank people for the work we've done we take information from families through our app to recognize success and we hold events to thank people and then we also try to follow up what we say by our actions so during coronavirus we doubled sick pay because we thought no one should have to choose between worrying about supporting their family and putting someone else's loved one at risk and we also increase the amount of money that we pay people to travel um, because we knew that it would take longer with the tubes closed so I guess we try to match the values that we exhibit with the things that we say and then the tangible actions that, that match there as well. So now you have got 50 people and you raised three million pounds. That's quite a lot to be juggling with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> tell me what a, I know there's no average week, but tell me what your week has been like this week. Help me understand what a life of a CEO looks like at Lifted. I mean, firstly, yes, it's kind of extraordinary to me that it's grown so quickly and it does feel like a huge responsibility and a huge privilege. Um, I'm definitely not doing it alone. I've got a co-founder and we speak all the time, every day, and that's really important. I tend to find that basically the, the best way I operate is to be really focused on one thing and then that thing moves on and do the next thing. And it changes all the time. So last week, the focus was all about giving our employees options in the business so that they can all own a bit of our success. Um, and that was all legal documentation. And there's an awful lot of legal documentation that goes into companies that I hadn't considered. Um, this week has been about PR. So we were quoted in the Daily Express this week, and that was exciting. So we were working with um, journalists to make that happen. Also this week been about growth. So we're looking for a partner to help us produce more content to support more families on our website. So I've been producing a brief to give to agencies about that. And um, there's usually lots of people issues so um had some challenges with members of the team not being very well so i've been trying to support them personally and professionally with that what else have i done this week speaking to you which is lovely and, and preparing to think about what i would say to you um talking to our investors and, and speaking to other people who want to in, want to invest in the business um and then speaking to our team about particular challenges that clients might have and how we support those families better and I've also been thinking a bit this week about how we recruit more carers with the right skills to match the increase in demand that we're seeing since lockdown started to lift. So those are those are some of the issues that I'm looking at. Um, I also had a meeting this week with um, a big corporate organisation that's interested in trying to help more people find ways to pay for care. 
So we were speaking to them about how do we support more people to get access to financial products that would help them pay for care because a lot of people are suddenly saddled with this financial cost that they didn't expect to have. So how do we help them with that? Those are those are some of the things I've done this week. Oh, and the next development of our of our app, we're we're adding a whole bunch of new features to our app that will help families really share in the joy of care. So I think a lot of tech is focused on the mechanics and the operations of giving people data. But actually, when we, we did a whole bunch of research recently, we spoke to families and, it, and a lot of people said, you know, even when I bring in a care company, I still really worry about the quality of care. And so we want to find ways to give families back a bit of transparency around how their loved one is being looked after with pictures and videos and ways for them in, to interact with that. So I spent quite a bit of time thinking about what does that look like and, and how do we build it? So those are some of the things I've done this week, um, but I'm sure it'll be different again next week, which is yeah. great, exciting and also a bit scary. At the beginning, you said you sometimes question whether should you have done this by yourself, but actually you value having a co-founder and a team around you. And you mentioned, you know, finding people that are complementary. What is your strength in all of the things that you've just said that you do, that you've done this week? I really enjoy communicating about Lifted. I really enjoy telling people about our vision and our mission. So that's one thing I really enjoy doing. So I guess things like this. So you can judge if, you can judge if I'm any good at it, but I enjoy it. Um, I think I'm also good at communicating with the team and driving that values-driven culture and making people feel like we're building something they should be proud of. And I, and I'm, I, I like to think of 100 new ideas. So I'm, I'm pretty good at thinking of lots of new ideas. And then I need other people around me to help me structure those and make them happen. I think those are the things I'm, I'm, I tend to, be, tend to be good at. So um, communication, ideas and, and culture. So you mentioned that you doubled um, the sick pay uh, during COVID and that you've been inviting people to talk to you about their experience regarding Black Lives Matter and diversity. And it sounds like you've got a very open door policy. How have you found leading in such an extraordinary time? You've got a big team. You've got lots to consider around growth and development. And you've had a pandemic to manage and cope with and respond to. How have you approached that and what support have you got around you? Um, that's a great question. And you are absolutely right. It's been really, really hard. <laughs> um, I think very early on, though, I tried to recognise it as a as a real opportunity and challenge. I sort of exactly as you said, you know, leading during a pandemic is one of the challenges that you don't expect to have, particularly when you're quite new to running a business. And it's an opportunity to reflect and think, what am I good at and how can I structure and support my strengths to help the team and so the first thing I stepped back and thought is what does the team need to hear so I set up daily brief sessions with the team and we just basically put half an hour in the diary every day um, and said everyone um, in the core team so we've got 40 carers and about 11 people in our core team well actually at that point it was about it was about um, six or seven people because we've hired five people during the pandemic which is a whole other challenge so we put that time in the diary and said, this is just a space for you to come, talk about how you're feeling. Nothing is off limits. You can say whatever you say and we will respond. And we tried to get from there a sense of how people were feeling. And I take pretty seriously the responsibility to think about people's mental health and try and support them. So I think that was the first thing I did. I also tried to read quite a lot. Um, I, I love a good leadership book. I love a good leadership podcast too, um, like this one. And I went to a session um, that my old employer, McKinsey, ran. Um, and it was an ex-general um, who was speaking about leading during a crisis. And, you know, you think COVID's a crisis, but this man has literally led people into war. And, and I reached out to him afterwards and said, 
look, I know you, you've obviously had extraordinary experiences and nothing I'm doing is anywhere near what you're doing, but I'm leading this new organisation. It's quite hard and I'd really love to get your thoughts. And he very graciously made some time and that was a hugely valuable conversation to me. And one of the things I was really struggling with was I really wanted us to create a new compelling offer around COVID. Everyone, every new business was kind of pivoting to have new products or, and I really wanted us to look after people with the virus. And I said to him, you know, I, I feel like, there's a crisis what can you how can you change your company obviously to help people he said you have to recognize the age of your organization and you can't do everything and when he said that it really made me think hey if this man who's led people into battle is telling me I don't have to do everything I don't have to come up with a new product or the new proposition I've just got to focus on supporting my people keeping my carers safe keeping my clients safe and supported and engaged with that was a really freeing conversation for me and so I used that as as the structure of what I did and I I, um, we established a carer champion. So that person's job, phone, phone our carers, the people that we employ, speak to them and find out how they are. And that's all, you, that's all that you need to do. There's no information to convey to them other than obviously information about PPE, but it really is about understanding how they are and hearing their challenges. And that's brought huge dividends. Like the way that carers are engaging with us, um, staff retention has gone up. So that was, that's been really brilliant. And then we took their ideas and we implemented them. So carers said to us, we haven't got enough space on the tube. Um, and people aren't distancing properly and we're worried about that for our clients so we developed a badge that they can wear that says give me space I'm a carer um which yeah which 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 was a carer's ideas and I'm sorry that was really exciting um so that was one thing that's how we got the idea to double sick pay as well because we realized that people were going to feel under pressure and then I focused on communicating with our clients and and some clients put their care on hold as you might expect um and almost all of those clients have now come back because we focused on building that relationship so I think it was about understanding what my organization could do and what it wasn't yet ready to do pushing in the right places and not pushing too hard I think the other thing that really got me through the COVID period was the people so I have a fantastic co-founder Sam um, and I'm not doing this alone at all and Sam has lots of experience of running field workforces of people which has been really vital Um, and having him alongside me as we dealt with the challenges that COVID presented was really important, particularly as he was able to take on some of the more directly operational challenges like getting PPE to people, but also more broadly thinking about how do we support our staff? um, How do we make sure everyone is excited and engaged? Um, And also giving me feedback about, you know, when it's important to let things go and when it's important to have strict standards. So I found his feedback to be really valuable and there's just simply no way I could have done the last few months without him. Um, so that's that's how I've tried to approach it. But I'm sure there's an awful lot I could have done differently or I, I, I could have learned from. How, how did you find it? Initially, when everybody worked from home, I personally really struggled because I was just used to, we had two offices and any time I ever needed anything, I would just go in and interrupt them and say, what about this or can I have help with this? And even though I work virtually with my clients, I'd always had that very close that close proximity with my team so I I did struggle and I think there were um, like miscommunication so we definitely struggled on the communication front um, early on but then we kind of set we settled into our rhythm um, and we we adapted very quickly um, essentially I think it was the third Monday in March, it literally the, the girls just picked up their computers and then like just took them home. So we had all of the tech. We started to use Slack. We came off WhatsApp because I was very conscious that I didn't want people up when you know outside of the hours of work to be reminded by work if they were talking to their friend on WhatsApp that they could see, you know, like messages that I'd sent because I work 
longer hours than them. So I didn't want to invade their kind of privacy any more than what we were already doing because they were already working at home. So we started to use Slack, which which was really good. And then I think it was just learning to communicate in a slightly different way. But with clients, it's been fine. If I was to do it again, I would do many things differently. <laughs> um, I would around communicating with the team, uh, managing my own energy. The one thing that COVID and Black Lives Matter has helped me realise more than ever, and that is what I want and the sort of leader I want to be and the people I want to work with, like in the business and my and the sort of clients I want to work with and how I've got three children. So I'm spending more time with them. Admittedly, they're, you know, they're, it's because they are not at school. But it has made me think about my lifestyle and that as a business owner, I don't want to be chained to my desk. I've created, you know, that people think when they run their own business, they'll have like more freedom and flexibility. I think in the beginning, maybe you don't need to, but I definitely advocate, you know, like just say yes and get in there and do as much as you can and, and network and, you know, learn the lessons and make mistakes. But for me, five years in, it's a bit like I know so much more and I need to execute on what I know and I don't have to run myself ragged all the time. So that has been a valuable lesson. And I was saying to you off air, I bought a paddleboard after this. I've got, I'm going to go out paddleboarding and just trying to appreciate all that's around me. You know, like you take it for granted. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think the other thing that I thought was super important as well was about empowering people to own individual bits. And like I, because obviously for us as a, as a care company, PPE is really important. Making sure people have the right protective equipment. And my temptation was to kind of micromanage, okay, how many face masks have we got? How many gloves have we got? But actually I realized I was going to have to step back and let other people manage that. And they've really risen to the challenge. Um, and my co-founder has created this PPE dispatch session at, section at his house where he individually packages and sends out all the PPE to people's addresses. And empowering him to do that is really important. And it also speaks to, to what you were saying about the importance of priorities, because if you can step back and let other people step up and in, then you'll get more headspace to work on the things that matter to you in work and out of work. Yeah. Um, and you won't, and, and I mean, I've kind of found that sometimes my deepest thinking about work happens on a Sunday and that doesn't feel right. It should, you know, it should happen during the week um, because that's the time when I've managed to create a bit of space. And so I, I think, I think inevitably you work really hard and I've always worked really hard and I don't, I don't really mind because I really enjoy working. Um, but I think it's important to create an organization that could succeed almost without you. If that makes sense. Otherwise, yeah. it's, not really, it's not a really healthy organisation. As, as hard as that, as hard as that can be. And then also, I think the other thing is like the personal challenge of it. My, as I said, you know, my mum, she now lives in a care home. We after three years of the care company, we didn't know there was any other option really. Um, and so now she lives in a care home. And so obviously, I haven't been able to see her. Um, and I found that really hard. And my my little sister is a doctor, and she got COVID, and she's now better, thank goodness. But that was quite difficult. So I've also kind of had to juggle my own resilience challenges and still have enough energy to give something to the team. Yeah. And so taking that quite seriously and making sure you've got the right support around you. So I work with a coach, for example, that I find really helpful. Those things are important and you can't be a good leader if you don't have energy to give to other people because you're spending too much of it trying to deal with your own challenges, if that makes sense. So you have to put things in place to support you. I don't know if you find that as well. Yeah, I think I got a new coach at the beginning of COVID and I was like, I know I'm going to need one. 
So I was a bit like, well, I've got a mastermind group. I've got two um, and I've got my best friend, Lisa. So I was in some respects, I knew what I would need to be able to get through this. And I made some difficult decisions and knew that I would need, yeah, I would need a coach and need some downtime and need to do the things that um, give me energy. And that for me, I'm an early bird. Like I, would, I like to wake up super early and exercise. And sometimes I might skip that exercise and I would, I just wouldn't have as good a day. And it's like, for me, it is building that routine and sticking to it, even though it's really, really busy. Because if I do those things, if I meditate, if I exercise, um, you know, if I have breakfast, I'll be, a, I will have a better day. I'll be in a better mindset to be able to deal with the difficult things. But when I just wake up, roll out of bed, roll into the office, they were just never, they were never good days. So I think it's remembering what I need to do to have, you know, like a better day, even though it's hard finding the time to do this stuff when you just want to lie in. Yeah, no, that makes that makes complete sense to me. Like understanding what things you have to have around you. I think it's interesting as well because I know I think for a lot of people who manage other people, lockdown's been particularly hard because you have you have to really trust your team because you can't see what they're doing. Um, and I think that's a really great thing and and a really important lesson that like I've had to learn as someone that leads other people is um, trusting them to do their best work and almost beware of adding too much value. Someone once said to me. <laughs> Um, because if someone comes to you with an idea and you say, oh, that's a great idea, but maybe if you just tweak this, this and this, then you think you're adding a huge amount of value. But sometimes that idea has gone from something that they were super excited about executing to something that now they feel is yours and they're executing. Um, and I think what lockdowns actually forced people to do is to just trust their teams to get on with it and they, they know best. And then that frees you up to do the kind of more strategic work that sometimes gets neglected, but the business still needs. Definitely. And I think when you are the CEO, there's a lot of thinking you have to do. Like, so there'll be some days where for me, there, you know, like there's the doing and there's a the client work. And I like to get, I don't do the technical side of the marketing, but I like to think of, you know, like who am I going to invite on the podcast or the blogs and things like that. And I might not be writing anything, but I'm just, I'm constantly thinking about it. That's quite exhausting. So you kind of, and you need to be in a good mind frame and good space to be able to do that thinking work so the more you can give to other people and then you reserve only the things that you can do and think through and work through and strategize there is a lot of it's the hidden work that no one really sees yeah absolutely and I think sometimes that's challenging because if you spent a day thinking sometimes there's not an awful lot of output of that yeah Um, and then that that can actually be hard because you're like well hang on a minute what have I achieved today so then the temptation is to jump in and do something like, oh, okay, well, I'll just do a few Excel formula because I know that that will give me a, a set of answers that will make me feel like I've achieved something. Um, and then that's when you kind of step on your team's toes. And so I, I tried to balance both. I know that I personally need to have a bit of execution of stuff. Otherwise, it, I, I feel a bit kind of lost in my head sometimes and, and the deep thinking. And I think the combination of both is important because you also have to recognize what gives you, what gives you energy. Um, because that's what will help you achieve. And I know that talking to other people, like I'll be full of energy after this. I'm speaking to you, Tara. Um, so you'll, you'll make my day a great day. Um, so thank you very much, uh, because I, I love this kind of thing. Whereas there are some things that if I spend hours doing, I, I won't have energy and I'll moan to everyone and I, and I won't be fun. Um, so you kind of, you, you need to have, you need to have both. But I think you're completely right. That kind of quiet, so almost behind the scenes thinking work is, is really important work that needs to be done. And often you can't share it with people because you're sometimes making decisions about them. 
and that can that can be challenging but is but you know is but is a great challenge i mean i'm just staggered by how much i learn every day trying to to lead a business and doing my best in difficult circumstances and yeah and i and i and i kind of look around at other people like you who are doing it and and feel inspired by them and and try and learn from them um and i try to be really honest about the things i find difficult because i don't think there's an awful lot of honest conversation particularly about startups particularly when they've raised money i think there's a lot of kind of the dream of the tech startup and the kind of facebook's of this world and my experience is that it's just extremely hard work and it's amazing privileged work that you get to do and i'm so lucky to be able to to work on something i'm really passionate about and to be having a social impact and to have raised investment um but i try not to feel bad when it's hard because i think it's meant to be so two things i've just written down let's talk about what what are some of the challenges that lifted going through what you know you're really early on so it's natural to have growing pains what are they Ooh, where do I start? <laughs> um, I think one of the biggest challenges we have is, as you said, carer recruitment um, and making sure that we're attracting the best people at the right speed. You've basically got to imagine that running lifted is like a seesaw and on one side is carer recruitment, on the other side is client recruitment and you need them to be in balance because if you've got too many carers and you haven't got enough clients, the carers will leave. And if you've got too many clients and not enough carers, then the clients will leave. Um, and then you're kind of stuck. So trying to get that timing right is really important. So that's one challenge. The second challenge for us is finding the right routes to reach families. We know that when families reach us and when they speak to us on the phone, a lot of them choose to come with us because of our reviews, because of our service, because of our approach and our, and our empathy and the fact that we've been there before and our absolute commitment to quality. But finding families in the first place and communicating with them in a way that is meaningful to them is challenging, particularly um, in a COVID era when, you know, lots of people are understandably quite nervous about letting someone else into their home. So the kind of growth marketing challenge is important. I think those are the, the two biggest ones. And then the other thing is just from a tech perspective, prioritising, you can't build everything you want. Like I have a hundred million things I want to build in our apps. You can't do them all at once. And trying to make decisions about what's the right thing to build in the right sequence is actually really important because tech development is really expensive and if you spend a lot of money building the wrong feature in your app that doesn't make people choose you then you've kind of lost the opportunity that you had because your investment only lasts for a certain period of time so making the right decisions is quite important and the way I tried to deal with those challenges is to bring in people who faced them before so we brought in a fantastic recruiter she's a corporate recruiter so she's recruited at volume, high value candidates for corporate organizations. And she's bringing with her a level of professionalism and knowledge that we, we didn't have before on the recruitment side. So that's really useful. On the marketing piece, again, we're working with people that we know who are growth experts, um, but we're trying to combine that with what we believe, what families need and the support that they're looking for. And on the tech side, um, we did a bunch of user research. We had a bunch of assumptions about what we thought families wanted, primarily based on my experience looking after my mum. We did a bunch of user research to say, is this true? We basically just talked to lots of family friends who had loved ones that needed care and we verified them, which was really helpful. And we learned a bit about some of the ones we thought maybe weren't quite true and some of the ones that we think are true. And then at some point you have to stop thinking and start executing. And that personally is my challenge because I get in my head thinking of lots of different options. And I, I read a thing and I can't remember who said it. I think it was the director of Pixar said it. And he said, if, you, if you're standing in front of two hills and you can't decide which one to run up, the thing you must do is run up one of them. And if you realise when you're halfway up the hill that it's the wrong hill, then come down again and run up the next one. He's like, the only unacceptable action is running between two hills, not sure which one to run up. 
And I think sometimes when you're in thinking about strategy, I'm sometimes guilty of trying to think about which way should we go. Um, and so having people around that force me to actually execute on something. Those are some of the, cha those are some of the challenges that we face um, now, but they are different to the ones that, you know, a few months ago, the challenge was all about getting a really great care quality commission inspection, which we've done or making sure that we hired the right registered manager. And I'm really proud of registered manager that we've had. So it, it never ceases to amaze me that the challenges that felt all consuming now, the majority of them will disappear. There'll be some that stay, but it's crazy how something can seem like the world is ending one minute and then it's brilliant the next minute. And I, I, I think that is a thing that people in startups notice is, is it really is the highs and the lows within the same hour, let alone the same week can be pretty extreme. Do you write down your, do you have a journal and do you write down your what's happening in 15 months time when, when you look back and you think, oh, we managed through COVID. Do you, will you have any documented thoughts around how you felt, what you've done, lessons learned? Oh, what a good question. Well, I guess I've got this podcast now. <laughs> um, we have a document that my co-founder put together, which is called like Lifted History. And in it, he's put all the key moments for him. So it has like, you know, when we signed our first investment deal, like our first customer, some really extraordinary moments, like when a carer phoned us and said, I can't go to work because I'm locked inside my house. You know, when, um, when we got our first reviews. So yeah, we've got moments like that that we try to keep. We don't have the commentary around it though, which maybe is even more valuable. It's a good point. I've never really kept a journal. I kept a blog about my mum, which I wrote a little bit when I was really struggling with things around how do you process the loss of someone who's still alive? And I think a lot about that. But I haven't got a, a journal of the actual startup journey. Maybe I should keep one. Well, I mean, you don't have to. I, my sister bought me one about a year before I set up the business. And I, so I've got uh, probably about 10 journals. And what made me think of that is when you said, you know, like when you look back, the problems that you think that you had, you know, like last week that seemed so huge. And then you're like, oh, God, that was, you know, that was nothing because now this has happened. And it's quite f funny when you look back. And also um, you forget, you forget so much. You think that you remember, but you don't, of all the little things that have led to where you've reached today and the people that you meet along the way. You know, that one conversation just at the right time in Costa can have a huge impact. And I think it's just it's nice. It's just a nice memory, even if it's not just for you. Just it's a, just a personal memory to have to share it with anybody. No, you're right. It is really nice. I mean, it's interesting because that's basically what we're trying to build in our app as a way of families having memories of their loved ones. And it's interesting hearing how powerful it is for you. I think the closest thing I have is social media. I post a lot on Facebook and I post a lot on LinkedIn. And sometimes I look back and read them. So I think that's probably the, the closest way of doing it. Interestingly, people, if they want to see the stuff that's not, you know, like prim and polished all the time. They just want to see the people behind the business. There's sort of a mix, isn't there? Because if you're looking for a company to look after your loved ones, you want to know that the person running that company is professional, responsible, trustworthy, yeah. and empathetic and kind and caring and creative and innovative. And you want a level of authenticity, but you probably don't want to know about their worst days. Do you know what I mean? Like you, there, there's a level of, of honesty that you don't want. And getting that, that balance right, I think, is, is, from a content perspective, is pretty interesting. There's such a thing as too much honesty and, and there's definitely a thing as, as of, of being inauthentic. So getting the right balance is, is really important. But yeah, you're right. I mean, when we talk to families and we say, you know, what do you really love about Lifted? They say it's, you know, it's, it's 
it's because it's run by someone that's been there and done that and understands what it feels like and I think that's really important it obviously has an emotional toll though because you know I I miss my mum so much every day because she doesn't know who I am anymore and then I have to talk about it at work because that's what I'm channeling all the time is that experience and that can be quite draining but it's also I guess my way of making meaning out of something that felt pretty meaningless when you're you know when your mum's 56 and someone tells you she's got dementia and over eight years she's going to forget who you are and then pass away you're like well that feels completely unfair (laughs) so trying to find meaning in that and take that experience and use it to to bring justice to people because I do think the state of the care sector is a, a terrible injustice to people both to carers and to family members and the doctors who have to try and deal with some of the challenges when when home care hasn't got enough resources and they have to pick up what could have been done so I do think it's an injustice and I feel passionately about contributing to, to making it better and that that powers me through those difficult moments and I, I, I really I really think you need a mission I think trying and I'm sure you've got your mission I think trying to run a business is so difficult that unless there's something that really powers you through it that you step back and you think why am I doing this okay well yeah. I'm doing this there's this injustice and I want to tackle it and I know that I can do it well because I look at our reviews and I can see families feeling better and I can see them saying I've never met a company like this and then you know okay well it was really hard today but it was worth it for that I wonder you must have a similar thing that drives you yeah and I think even more so now our mission is to influence positive change in primary care and to make sure you know we are saving people time and stress and money and doing something worthwhile and one of the things I've really been driven is around Black Lives Matter is about the lack of diversity at the top so I've launched my own scholarship fund where I'm going to be gifting uh, five £2,000 grants to people with a BMEE background who want to pursue or progress their leadership career for the reason that you've just said it's I feel I'm in a a privileged position I love my work I love 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 it I would not my kids say to me mummy what what would be your dream job and I, I'm like I've got it I love the clients that we work with and I want to do more of that and I'm a really big believer in education and training and like you I'm you know I'm listening to podcasts I'm reading books like it doesn't it's just what I do and I would like to be able to support other people to do that as well so and having that I think as I said like with COVID it's really made me think what fires me up and it is exactly what I created the business to do sometimes I may have lost my way a little bit and you're just you know you're just chasing the clients but quite quickly I recognize that and I've learned there's no amount of money it's the money doesn't make me happy the work and the difference makes me happy and getting paid for it is great yeah yeah absolutely and and I, I, I do also believe that if you if you focus on what you're passionate about, you'll do your best work. And if you do your best work, then it's likely to be successful. You know, I, I, I talk about Lifted all the time, not because it's work, but just because I'm really proud of what we're building. And I, you know, I love anyone listening to this podcast who's interested in what we're doing to, to get in touch. And, you know, you can find us at liftedcare.com. Um, and, and we can talk, talk about what you're passionate about as well, because I know there's lots of people out there who are passionate about, home care and are saying you know this is not a situation that can continue and particularly during COVID there's lots of people talking about how home care needs to change and how we can make it better and I think the more people we can bring in that are lucky enough to have been able to invest in their education hugely lucky McKinsey puts a lot of effort into helping people learn things government also trained me and and before that I 
did my master's at Oxford, so I had lots of educational advantage that hopefully I can use to help other people. And I think what I think what you're doing is absolutely brilliant. I, I've I've tried to do a little bit in my spare time, when I, which I haven't had much of, <laughs> um, so I haven't been able to do it for a while. But I I volunteer on the National Domestic Violence Helpline, so I, I listen to women who call in who are in abusive relationships and try to think about how I how I can help them and how we can help them. Um, as I said, I haven't been able to do it as much as much recently. Um, but I'm really passionate about that. So I, I try to think about the ways that I can use the advantages that I've had to help other people. I think what you're doing sounds absolutely brilliant. I'd love to support. Thank you. It was something I wanted to do and fund myself. I didn't want to ask for any help or anything like that. And so many people have said, how can I help? And I have been, it's I've been overwhelming um, and it's been incredible. And I'm really, really excited. So I will speak to you off air. You said to me, Tara, I find you, you know, inspiring. And when we had our first call, we kind of closed down Zoom. And I, I just sat there and was like, she's amazing. And she doesn't even know it. And what, another reason why I love this job is I get to meet people like you. And I think that somebody hearing you on this podcast, it will give them so much confidence to think, do you know what? I can use my experience and maybe like a negative experience and turn that into something positive. And you've got a fantastic experience to build on, but you've never run a startup. You've never been responsible for 50 people and, you know, like three million pounds worth of investment. How have you found the courage and confidence to do all of these things? Do you even realise that you're doing it or do you just get on and do it? Um, well, first of all, that's really kind. Thank you. <laughs> Um, uh, so, I mean, I guess, I guess part of, yes, I, I do realise that I'm doing it in the sense that I, I do feel the responsibility. Sometimes that's a bit difficult because if you kind of tell people that you're feeling kind of under pressure, they're a bit like, well, you know, you're really lucky, so stop moaning. <laughs> so I tried to find other people who are kind of in the same position. So my investor, uh, we're invested in by a venture capital fund and they have other investments and other people that lead their businesses and so we I talk to them about the same challenges that we're facing so that's very helpful I mean I should say that because of the way that Lifted was founded because these three guys had already started and they'd already raised some of the capital I wasn't in charge of everyone from day one and I didn't have to manage everything from day one it's been a transition and I think that was really important um, whereas you know you've got often did it all by yourself and that's a very different proposition so I, I also recognize what I haven't done as well as what I have done yeah I, I guess in terms of you know, how, how do I sort of deal with the responsibility of it? Um, I try to focus on what I think really matters, which is delivering the best experiences for our families and for our carers. And I instill that all the time in everyone that worked with me. And I have really clear evidence of that because I watch how our reviews come in and I, and I, and I see the, the communication with families and I have things that we, the values that we have, and I haven't, haven't stepped away from those values. And that drives me. Um, but I'm really lucky. I've got, you know, I've got friends who, who say really wonderful things about what we're building. And, you know, and I think sometimes you're right. You do have to step back and see it through the eyes of other people and say, oh, well, actually, I've, I've built this thing that I'm really proud of. But yeah, I haven't done it before. Absolutely haven't done it before. Um, and I and sometimes I think one of the biggest things I was, I was reading something the other day about, you know, what makes the great startup leader. And one of the things they said is to be humble and say when you can't do something. I'm not always great at that because I want to think I can do everything and I'm passionate and excited. Um, and so one of the things I've had to learn to do is say, actually, you know, this isn't, I'm not the best person to do this. Someone else can do this better than me. 
because ultimately what I do individually doesn't matter because lifted is what matters and mm -hmm. succeeding in lifted and changing the care sector and building a business that helps people that's what matters and all my job is is to steward it to get there making the right decisions and bringing in the right people and my what I do individually isn't isn't what's relevant it's what the company does overall that's how I those are some of the things I try to do think about it but I would say that you, I don't know about you but I certainly never switch off like I never I'm not thinking about lifted in some form so I, I do think you know I've, I have people sometimes come to me and say oh you know would you recommend it and and I've got friends who have done startups and have exited some successfully and some not successfully and when I talk to them we all agree yes do it but but one be super passionate about it because otherwise it will drain you and two recognize it will be really hard and you need a lot of resilience and that you won't have time for a lot else but but that's fine because it's worth doing so um yeah and then learn from the experience of people that have done it before you i guess those are the ways i try to think about it but 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 i'd also add to that be try and stay confident about what you know to be true i think sometimes when you look at bigger businesses and you think oh well this is huge business and they do it like this they don't do it like that you think well i must be wrong my insight must be wrong but actually, when I trust my instincts about what I think the care sector needs and what I think families need, so far, it usually turns out to be right. Um, and so I guess I'm trying to grow in confidence in trusting what I think is right. From this podcast, if the listeners just took one thing away, I know that we've talked about 100 things, but just one thing away about Lifted, what would you want them to know? We're a, a tech-enabled home care company using tech to improve the quality of care for families and for carers. We're growing really quickly um, and we want to help more families. So get in touch if we can help someone that you know or if you want to partner. And where can people find you? You can find us at www.liftedcare.com. It's our website. Um, you can find me personally at Rachel, which is spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L, at liftedcare.com. On our website you can reach out directly but there's also a newsletter that you can sign up to and um, obviously we're on all the usual social media channels but I think the website is probably the best place to find us and to find out more about what we're doing and as I said like really keen to learn lots of people in the sector and very happy to speak to them and, and very happy to build partnerships where people are interested in doing so. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh you're very welcome thank you I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for joining us. And if you like what you hear, it would be great if you could give us a shout out on social media. You can find me on Twitter at THC Primary Care, on Instagram again at THC Primary Care or on LinkedIn. Just look for Tara Humphrey. And if you really like it, it would be great if you left us an iTunes five star rating and review. And I will see you in the next episode.